Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And we've got a lot to talk about today. It's been a very eventful week for the Suns. Um, and honestly, it hasn't even been a full week since our last episode. But a lot has happened in the last couple of days. It's hard to know where even to begin. Um, but just to briefly recap the week, uh, we started off with a 31-point win over the Grizzlies, which uh, actually that was last week. And then that gave way to a 32-point win over the Portland Trailblazers. So back-to-back 30-point wins for the Suns. And watching the Suns demolish the Blazers, I'm not going to lie, it brought back some memories to, uh, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, or maybe you blocked it out of your memory or have tried to. But uh, a few years ago for the Suns' opening night, they were ringing in their 50th season as a franchise, and the Blazers were visiting and they just got smacked by the Blazers by like 48 or 49 points or something like that. Uh, I remember watching it, being worried that the Suns were about to ring in their 50th season as a franchise with a 50-point loss. Um, but it was hard not to think of that game and how far this organization has come since then uh, in just a few years, how you know they went from being just smacked by the Blazers by 48 points to beating them by 32. And obviously Portland wasn't at full strength. They were missing, you know, Yusuf Nurkic and uh, CJ McCollum was out, but the Blazers had won like six straight games because Damian Lillard was playing at an incredible level. So it's not like they were some pushover team. Um, And the Suns just took care of business, which is something that we've seen them do at times this season, not as often as we'd probably like because, They have a number of losses to inferior opponents where they go up big and then let the opponent back in the game. But it was really good to see this game, um, the way that it happened against a quality playoff team, against a team that the Suns are currently competing with in the standings for that four seed in the West. Um, So it was good to see them, you know, handle their business and take care of a team they should beat at home. Um, Unfortunately, they followed it up with the type of loss that I was literally just talking about, where they go up big on an inferior opponent and let that opponent crawl back in and they wind up with this horrible loss. And I I tweeted this after the game, but I feel like the Suns either have these resounding statement wins that are just, you know, these chest thumping, feel good victories, or they have these inexplicable debilitating losses where it seems like the sky is falling and there's like zero in between on that. Um, And I'm not sure what it is. I know that it's a young team and that they have several new pieces, you know, Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, et cetera. Um, But it is infuriating to watch and to cover because this team's record could be four or five wins better because they've lost so many games. So many of their losses are against teams that they were beating by double digits early on and then they just wind up losing so uh that happened against the charlotte hornets on wednesday night they were up by 17 in the second quarter um and they just let the hornets back into the game they they let their guard down to close that second quarter and suddenly you're looking at a one-point game at halftime then the hornets come out 
with a quick run in the third quarter and suddenly your 17 point lead is, you know, a six or seven point deficit in the span of like 12 game minutes. So um, you never want to see that happen. And, and it's unfortunate because this team has shown that it does have the ability to sustain and even extend leads when they built them. You know, they just did that against the Memphis Grizzlies and the Portland Trailblazers in back-to-back games that were pretty much routes from start to finish. Uh, so it was disappointing to see them kind of regress a little bit. And it happens to every team in the league. But my problem here is that it seems to happen to the Suns a lot more than anyone else. Um, and we talked about on the last episode how the Suns tend to live and die by the three-pointer more than most teams just because of uh, the difference between their three-point percentage and wins versus losses. It's one of the largest in the league. But <clears throat> in this case, you know, there was some controversy at the end of the game where Devin Booker had a last second look at a game tying three and he got fouled by Gordon Hayward. Um, Now from where I was sitting in press row, I couldn't really tell live because Booker's back was to us. So it was hard to get a close up view of his hand there. Um, But you know, everyone on Twitter was saying it was a foul. And then after I got a chance to look at the replay, it was definitely a foul. My problem is I'm less concerned about this kind of game where it came down to a last second fluke. Like, yes, it was a bad call. Yes. It should have been three shots for Devin Booker to potentially tie the game and send it to overtime and, and potentially stave off what was a bad loss. But at the same time, the bigger story for me is not that the Suns got hosed in a late game situation again, although we could definitely talk about that. Um, And it is a thing. But my bigger thing is the Suns keep doing this. They shouldn't have been in that position. And I didn't, uh, I had some people jump in on my ass on Twitter for the way that I phrased this. Um, my point wasn't that Devin Booker didn't get fouled or that it shouldn't have been three shots or that the Suns should not have gotten their chance to tie the game. They should have. My point is you shouldn't be in that position in the first place. You know, it's not even about whether the Suns deserved to win the game or whether they didn't deserve to win. It's about if you're up 17 at home against a team like the Charlotte Hornets that, you know, someone said, oh, they're a playoff team. They're a playoff team in the East. Like they're two games below 500. Let's not go giving them credit as some playoff team. They're a sub 500 team. They're a team that the Suns, if they want to contend in the West, should handily beat, especially when you're up 17 at home, uh, you know, midway through the second quarter. You want to build on that lead, put the game away in the first half like you did against your last two opponents and make sure that they have no hope of coming back. They didn't do that. They let the Hornets whittle their lead down. They went on a quick 7-0 run at that point. And then by the time it was halftime, the lead was down to one. And that was after Booker's hot start. Um, So as much as it matters that Booker got fouled at the end there, that it should have been three shots from the foul line, you know, that the Suns got hosed once again in a late game scenario. I feel like it matters more that the Suns keep putting themselves in situations where they shouldn't even be, because to be honest, they were down seven with like less than a minute to go, I think in that game. So they really had no business being in that game or even being in that, you know, there was that, uh, that four point play that they called on Devin Booker and the Hornets challenged it and they upheld it, which I was kind of shocked by that. Um, I feel like that was one of those, those shots where you just kind of play on and that's not a foul. Um, and I feel like that was kind of flukish in and of itself. And then, you know, Mikhail Bridges has a chance. He's got two free, th- free throws from the line to cut it to one. 
makes the first, misses the second, and the Suns get the ball, um, you know, off it goes out of bounds on a loose ball play and it's ruled Suns ball. Um, just a lot of fluky type of things happen to even put them back in a position to tie that game. And either way, Suns should not have been in that position. That is the overarching theme here is they keep putting themselves in this position against worse teams where they shouldn't be, where they should just take care of business. And I understand it's a high standard to hold a young team to, you know, this is their first time playing playoff caliber basketball, but it is something they're going to need to learn from because they've had too many losses like this. And for me, that's the bigger takeaway rather than whether or not Devin Booker got fouled at the end there. Um, in other news, we should probably talk about the Suns having two all-stars now. Um, in our last episode, we were kind of looking ahead. Uh, actually, the episode before, we were looking ahead to potential all-star selections. I had Mike Lisboa on, and we talked about we made our picks for the West. Uh, we, I think I, we both had Devin Booker and Zion Williamson in as the wild cards out West. It wound up being Chris Paul and Zion Williamson made the all-star cut and Devin Booker did not. Um, and, and nobody can argue that Chris Paul was not deserving. You know, his arrival in Phoenix helped turn this franchise around. Um, it, it kind of served as, you know, the bubble was what put the Suns on the map. Chris Paul agreeing to be traded here is kind of the, the leaping off point of that, you know, taking that momentum and actually using it to put the Suns back in playoff contention. So he definitely deserved it. He was, you know, the advanced numbers favor him. Pretty much everything outside of, you know, scoring average favored Chris Paul over Devin Booker. But they were both deserving. And to see Devin Booker snubbed yet again was, uh, I mean, you if you lived on Sun's Twitter, you saw the outrage, you saw the reaction. You're well aware of what it was like. Um, and it was hard to ignore the irony of that situation that Zion Williamson got over him. And it's not that Zion isn't deserving, but you know, if you're going to name an injury replacement for Anthony Davis, Zion made more sense. And it was frustrating to see that the head coaches voted him in over Booker when for years, the thing with Booker has been saying like, once he starts winning, that's all he has to do. All he has to do left is win. You know, he's got the numbers. He's an efficient scorer. He's a playmaker. Um, now his teams need to actually win. His teams were winning. The Suns were fourth in the West by the time the voting was completed, and he still didn't make it in favor of a young player on the rise that we all know is special, that is putting up big scoring numbers, that doesn't play defense, and is playing for a losing team. Does that sound familiar at all to anyone? <laughs> because uh, it sounds a lot like Devin Booker. The only difference is Zion has all of the hype and, you know, yeah, a slightly better team record than the teams that Devin Booker had maybe for the last few years, not last year. Um, so it, it's kind of frustrating to see Zion skip the line, even though he's deserving, even though Suns fans should know better and, and root for a guy like that to make the all-star team, despite his defense, despite, you know, this perception of, oh, he's on a losing team. So his all-star case is lesser. It's not true. All-Star game is for the All-Stars. We want stars in the game. We want the biggest names, the best players. Zion qualifies just like Devin Booker has for the last few years. Um, it was just frustrating to see Zion not only not have to wait in that line the way that Devin Booker has, 
but to skip ahead of Devin Booker in that same line um, was pretty frustrating. It feels like we're moving the goalposts for Book as far as every year it's been something like he doesn't, you know, he's not an efficient scorer. Devin Booker ups his efficiency. Devin Booker can't play make. Devin Booker starts playmaking more and becoming, you know, this pick and roll master, this great facilitator on a team that has like zero point guards. Uh, and then it turns into, okay, so now he doesn't just score. Now he can play make, but his team still don't win. And he doesn't play defense this year. His team is winning. Devin Booker is playing better defense and he still is only in as an injury replacement. It feels like we're moving the goalposts and it's kind of frustrating. You know, I'm not even a fan of the team, but it is frustrating to, see someone that works really hard, that is good at his craft, um, who puts a lot into his game, just continue to not get credit for it because for whatever reason, the Suns have been league punching bags. And now that they're not, there's still this annoying resistance to the idea that he is a legitimate star. Um, And his slow start to this season, admittedly, played a part in that. But it is still kind of annoying that we're still having to jump through these hoops to get Devin Booker recognition. Um, which kind of segues into our quote of the week this week. Um, I know we had a quote of the week on Monday, but this quote of the week will just count for next week because uh, we're going to have some cool guests on next week. But, uh, and I didn't want this to kind of slip under the radar because this was great. Um, You know, before Booker was confirmed as Anthony Davis's injury replacement for the all-star game, um, you know, we had to go through the motions of asking, Monty Williams and, and, you know, son's teammates, what they thought about Devin Booker getting snubbed. And Chris Paul was one of those guys. And, you know, he kind of downplayed it as far as like, yes, it sucks. We can't really control it though. Um, we know what the situation is and, and book cares more about team wins. So we're, we're good over here. Um, but the most important thing was what he had to say, not about the all-star conversation at all, but, what he had to say about why Chris Paul is even in Phoenix in the first place. You know, uh, Mont said this, this morning, and it's true for me too. I came here because of book. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, don't, don't make any mistake about that. Like I came to Phoenix because of book, you know, and it's because of who book is and the way that he plays and the, the way like he channels his energy and whatnot. So, Book already plays with a chip on his shoulder. So, yeah, we, we're good over here. So you hear that, and yes, it's easy to kind of downgrade it because Chris Paul is obviously in, I don't want to say twilight of his career, but his best years are obviously behind him. Um, but it does matter that a player like that who was on, you know, a top five team in the West last year and the leader of that team wanted to come to Phoenix to play with Devin Booker. Um, and, and we've seen it the last two years, you know, there's the fan voting, there's the media voting, and there is the player voting for all stars and Devin Booker consistently ranks higher in the player voting than he does for the fan and the media vote. And I'm not sure why that is. It might be just because, um, you know, the media relies more on advanced numbers than some of these guys do. Uh, it might be that the fans, you know, the Suns haven't really been popular the last few years. They haven't been popular since Steve Nash. So, um, you know, we the Suns don't get a lot of bandwagon votes for Devin Booker. And a lot of people are just used to ignoring this franchise. Um, but it is telling that the players know that Devin Booker is a star and that Chris Paul wanted to come here to play with Devin Booker. 
that is huge. That is exactly the type of franchise guy that you need to, frankly, overcome a lot of the organization's dysfunction. Yes, James Jones has been amazing, a, a good step in the right direction. Monty Williams, same deal as far as helping change the culture. But for the first five years of his career, Devin Booker cycled through you know, five head coaches, two GMs, over 70 different teammates. It's impossible to build stability in those kind of conditions, but Devin Booker somehow has outlasted all of that and is the cornerstone of building this new foundation that we're finally seeing come to fruition now. So it was kind of cool to see Chris Paul acknowledge that because without Devin Booker, there is no Chris Paul, there is no Jay Crowder, there is no Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway agreeing to veteran minimum contracts this team is not in the position they're in so it was pretty cool to hear chris paul acknowledge that but uh, we're going to take a quick break and be right back after this okay so in slightly lesser minor news um obviously book and cp3 getting the all-star nods was the big story of the week but uh we need to talk about the sun's open roster spot right now because um i think i predicted this a few shows back and it wasn't really a hard thing to predict either because he just wasn't very good uh damian jones was waived so the suns now have an open roster spot um happy trails to damian jones and his you know 1.6 points 1.3 rebounds in 6.7 minutes per game uh he only played in 14 games for the suns but we will never forget his negative 17.1 net rating (laughs) in those minutes. And I feel bad because Damian Jones is a young guy. He was trying out there. Um, you know, he had that one awesome dunk against the Blazers, which was literally his last game for the organization. Um, and he actually played okay in that game. It was garbage time minutes, but um, I felt bad for him because when Dario Sharch went down, he just clearly wasn't ready for that role as the backup big off the bench. Um, and those minutes were pretty painful when he was in there. But the Suns have decided to waive him, so they have an open roster spot. And the question, obviously, is what do they do with that spot? Um, And they have a couple of options. I think they're standing pat for now to see how the buyout market plays out. But it is worth looking at a couple of potential candidates that could be in the running there. Um, The first name, and this is a guy that I've been touting before they even cut uh, Damian Jones because... I felt like they, it was inevitable that they were going to cut Damian Jones because he just wasn't, he wasn't playing well. Like he wasn't very good. Um, He was, he was not an NBA caliber player and pretty much every other spot in the roster is occupied by an NBA caliber player. So, um, but Dwayne Dedman is the first name that has come to mind for me for months now. Uh, He was waived by the Detroit Pistons in November after I think he was traded there. Um, And last season, he only played 10 games for the Atlanta Hawks, but he averaged 8.1 points, 8.2 rebounds, and 1.5 blocks in 10 games. Uh, He didn't shoot very well there. He shot like 39% from the floor and 22% from three, but, um, you know, 10 games is a small sample size. And the season before that, when he was originally in Atlanta, before they traded him to the Hawks, and then he got bought out and then went back to the Hawks. Um, In that season before, he put up 10.8 points, 7.5 rebounds, 1.1 blocks. Uh, He shot 49% from the field and 38% from three. And he was taking about three and a half threes per game. So pretty good numbers and pretty indicative of what he would provide. You know, he's an older guy, obviously, 
but the Suns don't need him to do much. They just need a guy with size, potential rim protection, and hell, if he can shoot threes, even better. Um, but right now, you know, they're they're all set in the front court, especially coming off the bench with Dario Saric in that five spot where he's most effective. They've also got Frank Kaminsky, who, you know, they've been starting him at the four. We'll talk about that in a little bit because that's still – is grinding my gears a little bit, but he's been starting at the four. He's capable of coming off the bench and playing either the four or the five, um, though he's probably more effective as a four. Um, so the Suns need a little bit of size, a little bit of rim protection, um, just a guy that can handle big bodies in the paint because Dario Saric is, is strong. He's a load down there and he's a very crafty player, but the Suns are still prone to being out-muscled or um, out-lengthed down there you know if the other team has a big backup five they are prone to being kind of pushed around down there and Sharich just doesn't have the length or the athleticism to stay with some of these guys even if he's able to kind of counter that with his intelligence and his um, you know floor spacing and and passing on the other end so having another option an athletic guy um, a taller longer guy who can block shots and maybe even spread it to three-point range those are the things that Dwayne Dedman would provide. So he's been my top option there for a while. Um, another guy that I had been touting for a couple months was Kylo Quinn. He was last seen with the Sixers. Um, he played limited minutes. He only played like 11 minutes a game, put up three and a half points, four rebounds and, and less than a block. But, you know, he shot 49.4% from the field. Um, he can't really shoot threes, but he's, he's another big body down there. He's a bigger body than Sharich. Um, and he's a little bit taller, I think. So that would help the Suns just have another option um, because we saw when Sharch went down with the injury how short the front court rotation got at that point because Damian Jones just couldn't hold it down. They need another big there just in case um, so that they really are three players deep at every position. Um, the problem with Kyle O'Quinn is that he's currently playing uh, for Fenerbahce overseas. So you know, they might've missed the boat on that one. Uh, the most popular name we keep hearing is Blake Griffin. And I don't know how to feel about that one because I feel like it's unrealistic just in nature. Um, you know, he's making like 36 million or something. He's got like a 36 million player option for next year. Um, you know, the chances that he reaches a mid season buyout with the Pistons seem very slim because that's a lot of money to uh, come to an agreement on as far as his buyout is concerned. And then there are other questions, obviously, you know, like would Chris Paul even sign off on it? Um, you know, they were teammates for a long time with the Clippers in the Lob City era, but uh, there's, there's kind of been indications they didn't really get along that great. Um, and Jared Dudley has said, you know, most of the guys on the team didn't really get along that great. Um, Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan actually do, which, you wouldn't have guessed that, but um, I don't know. Would Chris Paul sign off on that kind of thing? I, I'm not sure if he did get bought out. Um, the Suns do have an exception to use there where they could offer more than just uh, the veteran minimum if he did get bought out, which could give them an edge over some other teams that might be offering him a deal. Uh, the only thing is, I don't know if he would really address the Suns' largest needs for that third, you know, that third string big spot um he's not really a rim protector he's sort of athletic he's not as athletic as he used to be obviously 
Um, you know, he went from jumping over Kias to barely jumping over longboards, it feels like. But um, yeah, I don't know. He, he's he, Griffin is still a good passer. And he's still, even though he shot the ball really poorly from three-point range and from all over this season with the Pistons, it's hard to tell whether he's truly washed or whether he's just kind of going through the motions with a Pistons team that he doesn't want to play for anymore. Um, a change of scenery could do him some good, especially on a team like the Suns that has depth at literally every position. Um, you know, a lot of floor spacers, a lot of talent, a lot of intelligent passers. He is an intelligent playmaker. He's rounded out his game from more than just the dunking machine that we used to know him as. Um, and it wouldn't hurt to have a player with that kind of playoff experience um, with that potential to be much better than he is now. He could be a diamond in the rough type guy. Um, the only problem is, you know, obviously I don't think the Pistons are going to buy him out. It's, it's tough to see that actually coming to fruition, but something to keep in mind if that day does come, the Suns could be in the market for it if it's something Chris Paul would sign off on. Um, another recent name, and he actually did just get bought out, was DeMarcus Cousins. Um, I don't see that one happening personally. Again, <laughs> it's funny that uh, Chris Paul keeps coming up in this conversation, but him and Chris Paul have never really gotten along. Um, they've had several on-court spats over the years, uh, and I feel like the Suns have a very good team chemistry as far as guys liking each other, guys getting along. I don't think you risk what you have there for a third string big with a guy like DeMarcus Cousins that, you know, for better or worse, has that reputation of riling things up in the locker room. And he could be that type of personality you just don't want in there, um, even if he's a guy that's barely getting any minutes. So, um, he has averaged 9.6 points, 7.6 rebounds, and two and a half assists per game for the Rockets this year. The problem is he's not shooting the ball very well. He's shooting like 38% from the field and 33, 34% from three. Um, so again, he'd, he'd be a, a wide load down in the lane for sure. He would definitely supply the Suns with the um, size that they need off the bench in the front court, but you know, not a great rim protector. Um, not very athletic. He would be a liability on defense. And I'm not sure that what he provides on offense, even with his passing abilities would make up for that, especially a guy working his way back from injury. It feels like it'd just be a waste to go from Damian Jones to him. Honestly, I'd rather they had kept Damian Jones and at least hope that since he's young, maybe he has more upside. Um, and then there's two names that have not been bought out yet that could be realistic buyout candidates. Um, either of which would be great for the Suns. The, the best one, in my opinion, is JaVale McGee. Um, aside from Deadman, I like Deadman now because he's available right now. But if McGee gets bought out, I think he might jump ahead of Deadman, not just because he's, um, you know, currently playing, which kind of matters. Um, but he is that long, lanky, shot-blocking third big that they wouldn't have to feed a bunch of minutes to, but they could know that he would be productive in his limited minutes as he's been throughout his career. Um, so if he were to be bought out by the Cavs, this is a guy that's averaging 7.4 points, 5.2 rebounds and 1.1 blocks in only 15 minutes per game. So that is the Suns couldn't ask for more than that in, in this kind of third string big spot that they have available now. Um, he's only shooting 47 
percent from the field, which is not great for a guy his size. Um, but he's a competent big man who can block shots. He has playoff experience. He's an effective rim runner, which would be great for the bench to have because they have a lot of guys that can, you know, put the ball on the floor make plays, make passes, spread the floor, but they don't have that kind of rim runner. Um, and Deandre Ayton is kind of the only player on the roster that fits that description. And, you know, we all know DA doesn't always dunk. So that rim running threat, it'd be great to have a second rim running threat with the bench in those matchups where maybe Dario's outsized or, or those nights where he's just not playing well. Um, and then the other name is a fan favorite, which I, I don't know if this is real realistic, but you know, we could always start to bring Aaron Baines home bandwagon at this point in time. Um, he'd need to be bought out by the Raptors, but he's been pretty terrible for them this season. Um, he's averaging 5.8 points per game, which is down from the 11 and a half he averaged with the Suns last year. Um, 5.3 rebounds in 19 minutes a night. He's only shooting 42%, which last year he shot 48%. Um, he's shooting 21.9% from three, which is down from the career high 35% he shot last year. Um, it was a career year from three for sure, as far as, you know, his number of attempts with his efficiency. Um, the team has, the Raptors have a negative 3.4 net rating with him on the court. And that jumps to a team high 5.2 net rating with him off. So that's a swing of, you know, eight, 8.6 points per hundred possessions when he's on versus off. Um, so he has not been good for the Raptors. I don't think he's like washed yet. Maybe it's just a situation where the Suns were a more comfortable fit for him. And maybe that would be the case if he came back. He doesn't do much in terms of giving you that rim protection that you're looking for, but he is another big body who takes charges, who can play physical down there. And, you know, again, he'd be an improvement over Damian Jones. So that is kind of all that matters. Um, but those are just some options to keep in mind as we approach buyout season, cause it's coming soon. I think the trade deadline is uh, March 25th, something like that. So it is coming up soon and the Suns do have a roster spot. They could always use that in a potential trade. But as I've said, I really don't see the Suns making a move at the deadline. Um, just because I think they're comfortable where they're at and they like this team. They like this team's depth. Um, and in a pandemic season, that kind of matters just in case to have that on deck. So um, for our final topic of today, we're not going to have a G-rated segment just because there was a lot to talk about in Suns land. Um, but we do need to talk about some potential adjustments because I feel like there are two things that the Suns really need to fix, especially to reach their ceiling in the playoffs. The first one stop with the Frank Kaminsky shit, like stop it. Like, <laughs> like it was fun because the Suns kept winning. They were nine and oh, they were undefeated. The Frank Kaminsky era was alive and well, and then they lost to the Hornets. Okay. And the Hornets picked on him repeatedly at the start of the first quarter and the start of the third quarter, which is really only when he played substantial minutes. And that's been the case for the last few games, you know, teams are starting to pick on him and he's pretty much only the starter in name. And you know, I know that that Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton lineup is just not working. I'm not sure why it is. Um, it just doesn't get off to good starts, but you've got to fight through that. You've got to battle through it because Jay Crowder is much better with the starters than he is coming off the bench. Cam Johnson has been much better off the bench than he was with the starters. 
and Frank Kaminsky is as good as he's been. That's just not the role for him. And it's putting the Suns at a disadvantage now because teams are, are going at him again. Um, if you want to reach your ceiling in the playoffs, you're not going to be starting Frank Kaminsky because he is going to be a major liability where coaches are keying in on your every move and trying to find every possible advantage. Frank Kaminsky is going to be a glaring disadvantage in the playoffs, especially on the defensive end. He's going to get picked on. The Suns need to be working out these issues now. Even as painful as they are, you've got to put Jay Crowder back in the starting lineup. I feel like that is the best way for them to reach their ceiling, even if it costs them a couple games right now. Um, they'll be better for it in the long run. The second one, and this is a minor thing, and it's hard to figure out how to fix this problem, but we've seen this multiple times over the last month where Devin Booker is you know, the walking human torch in the first quarter, and then he gets such a long break from the end of the first quarter to when he finally comes back in the game in the second quarter that by then he's cooled off and we see that, you know, kind of percolate through the rest of the game. Um, so looking at the numbers in the first quarter so far this season, he's averaging eight points per game, shooting 57% from the field and 36% from three in the second quarter that drops off to 3.7 points per game, shooting 44% from the field. Um, he is shooting better from three, 43%. But again, when you're going from eight points per game to 3.7 points per game, that's a pretty sizable drop off. And obviously it matters that he's playing a lot less minutes in the second quarter. Um, but still there needs to be a more even split there or at least something resembling, <laughs> you know, uh, a more even split. And then the third quarter, he comes back out 8.1 points per game, 51% shooting 38.3, three point percentage. Um, so obviously when he's playing longer in those first and third quarters, that matters. Um, his fourth quarter scoring is down because he hasn't been as good in the clutch this season. I think those numbers will, you know, respond. They'll go in the right direction. But I really do feel like we've seen too many examples of where Devin Booker starts off hot. He goes ballistic in the first quarter and then he's just kind of iced on the sidelines for eight minutes at a time. And yes, you want to watch Devin Booker's minutes. You don't want to be playing him, you know, 40 minutes a night in this regular season. That's unlike any we've experienced, but we've seen it too many times. So against the Hornets um, in their most recent game, he started with 16 points on seven of eight shooting. And then the rest of the night, he scored 17 points on six of 16 shooting. And that came in a loss against the Nets the week before he started with 16 points on six of eight shooting in the first quarter. And he only went for six points the rest of the way on three of 12 shooting in another loss. Uh, we even saw it the, a couple nights before that when they played the Magic, and he had that great first quarter to put the Magic in the hole. Um, he started with 17 points on eight of 10 shooting. He only went for 10 points on two of six shooting the rest of the way. And yes, that one's kind of an outlier because that game was a blowout, so they didn't really need him to do as much. But still, we have more examples against the Cavaliers the week before that. He started with 17 points on seven of 10 shooting and he went for 19 points on seven of 17 shooting the rest of the way. And, and keep in mind, you know, he did score 19 points in the next three quarters, but that's over three quarters compared to that first quarter. Um, there needs to, it needs to even out a little bit more. We need to see a little bit more consistency from there. And part of that is on Devin Booker as well. It's not just Monty, you know, tweaking his rotation or whatever, um, but it is something to keep an eye on because for whatever reason, Devin Booker has been in fuego to start every first quarter. And then the rest of the way, he just kind of cools off. 
And part of that is how long he's sitting on the bench between the end of the first quarter and the start of the second quarter when he finally comes back in. Um, you know, we saw it in the Pistons game too, a couple of weeks before that. I think that was in January um, where he started with eight points on three of four shooting in the first quarter. He went for 15 points the rest of the way, but it came on five of 14 shooting in a loss. Um, so you'll notice these are against lesser teams. Um, three of them were losses, three of those five that I just mentioned. Um, and two of them, that Cavs loss, that was a narrow win. That was a narrow win at home. Um, and it shouldn't have been that close, to be honest. So they need to find a way to like, yes, I like the switch because early in the season they were trying to get, they were so focused on getting DeAndre Ayton involved at the start. Um, and now I feel like the strategy has shifted a little bit to getting Devin Booker involved at the start, which is best for the Suns. They don't need to be force feeding Ayton in the post, um, but they need to find a way to sustain it now. And there are a couple of potential solutions for that. You could take him out a little bit earlier in the first quarter. So you can bring him back a little bit earlier in the second. Um, you could just play him maybe a minute or two more a night. I know you're trying to watch his minutes and, and keep him healthy because you want him for the postseason. but just try tweaking it a little bit, even if it's just by like a one minute increment, just to see if that makes a difference as far as him not going cold after these hot starts. Um, and when you do that, you could let, you know, Etwan Moore or Langston Galloway or, or Javon Carter go in there and just wreak havoc. You know, we know Galloway doesn't need a lot of time to put points on the board. We know Javon Carter doesn't need a lot of time to harass opposing guards, you know, 94 feet up the floor. Um, but you have all this depth. You need to put it to use a little bit. And I feel like if you do that, if you let some of those guys get a little bit more time, then you bring Devin Booker back in quicker. Um, it'll, it'll benefit everyone. The problem here is that taking him out sooner at the near the end of the first quarter means that you're probably playing more time without either one of Devin Booker or Chris Paul on the floor, which is a problem because the stagger has been working well, the way they've been staggering Chris Paul and Devin Booker for the most part, it's been working well. Um, and the Suns don't want to go too long without either one of those two guys on the floor. So it is a potential problem. There's no easy solution to it. Part of it might just be that Devin Booker needs to be more consistent throughout the game after starting out hot. But uh, that is something to keep an eye on moving forward because we've seen it like five times. Those are just the ones I mentioned this season. Um, but we've seen it like five or six times over the last month alone. So something to keep an eye on. But that's probably going to do it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to tell your friends, subscribe, write me a review with a couple of TV shows or movies you've been watching. Until next time, this is Gerald Bourget signing off.